0: Book 1, Chapter 1 Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone Chapter 1 is The Boy Who Lived Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number 4, Private Drive were proud to say that they are perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They are the last people you would expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm called Gronings which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck. Although he did have a very large mustache, Mrs. Dursley was thin and blonde and had nearly twice as usual amount of neck when came to very useful as she spent so much of her time craning over garden fences spying on the neighbors. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley and in their opinion There was no finer boy anywhere. The Dursleys had everything they wanted. But they also had a secret and their greatest fear was that someday somebody would discover it. They didn't think they could bear it if anyone found out about the Potters. Mrs. Potter was Mrs. Dursley's sister but they hadn't met for several years. In fact, Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister because, she ha- because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were as slash as it was possible to be. The Dursleys shuddered to think what the neighbors would say if the potters arrived in the in the street the dursleys knew that the potters had small son too but they had never even even seen him this boy was another good reason for keeping the potters away they didn't want dudley mixing with a child like that When Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on a dull, great Tuesday, our story starts. There was nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest that strange and mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country. Mr. Dursley hammered hemmed as he picked out for his most boring tie for work, and Mrs. Dursley gossiped away happily as she wrestled a screaming Dudley into his high chair. None of them noticed a large, towny owl flutter past the window. At half past eight, Mr. Dursley picked up his briefcase. Mrs. Dursley on the cheek and tried to kiss Dudley goodbye but missed because Dudley was now having a tantrum and throwing his cereals at the walls. Little Ty caught let Mrs. Dursley as he left the house. He got into his car and backed out for number four. It was on the corner of the street that he noticed the first sign of something particular, a cat reading a map. For a second Mr. Dursley didn't realize what he had seen. Then he jerked his his head around to look again. There was a tabby cat standing on the corner of private drive, but there wasn't a map in sight. What could have he have been thinking of? It must have been a trick of the light. Mr. Dursley blinked and started and stared at the cat. It stared back. As Mr. Dursley drove around the corner and up the road, he watched the cat in his mirror. It was now reading the sign that said "Private Drive." No, looking at the sign, cats couldn't read maps or signs. Mr. Dursley gave himself a little shake and put the cat out of mind. As he drove towards town, he thought of nothing except a large order of drills he was hoping to get that day. But on the edge of town, drills were driven out of his mind by something else. As he sat in the usual morning traffic jam, he couldn't help noticing that there seemed to be a lot of strat- strangely dressed people around, About people in cloaks. Mr Dursley couldn't bear, bear people who dressed in funny clothes. The get ups you saw on young people, he supposed this was some stupid new fashion He drummed his fingers on the steering wheel and his eyes fell on a huddle of these weirdos, standing quite close by. They were whispering exactly together. Mr. Dursley was enraged to see that a couple of them weren't young at all. Why that man had to be older than he was? and wearing an enlarged green cloak. The nerve of him. But then it struck Mr. Dursley that this was probably some silly stunt these people were obviously collecting for something. Yeah, that would be it. The traffic traffic moved on and few minutes later, Mr. Dursley arrived in Groning's parking lot. His mind back on rails. Mr. Dursley always sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it harder to concentrate on drills that morning. He didn't see the owls swooping past in broad daylight, though people down in the street did. They pointed and gazed open mouthed as owl after owl sped overhead. Most of them had never seen an owl age, even at night time. Mr. Dursley, however, had a perfectly normal all free morning. He yelled at five different people. He made several important telephone calls and shouted a bit more. He was in a very good mood until lunchtime, when he thought he would stretch his legs and walk around the road to buy himself a bun from the bakery. He had forgotten all about the people in cloaks until he passed a group of them next to the bakers. He eyed them angrily as he passed. He didn't know why, but they made him uneasy. This bunch were whisperingly, whispering exi- excitedly too and he couldn't see a single collecting tin. It was on his way back past them, clutching a large donut in a bag, that he caught a few words of what they were seeing, saying. The potters, that's right, that's what I heard. Yes, their son, Harry. Mr. Dursley stopped dead. Fear flooded him. He looked back at the whispers as if he wanted to say something to them, but thought better of it. He dashed back across the road, hurried up to his office, snapped his secretly not to disturb him, seized his telephone and had almost finished dialing his home number when he changed his mind. He put the receiver back down and stoked his mustache, thinking, no, he was being stupid. Potter wasn't such an unusual name. He was sure there were Lots of people called Potter who had a son called Harry. Come to think of it, he wasn't even sure his nephew was called Harry. He had never even seen a boy. It might have been Harry, Harvey or Horold. There was no point in worrying Mrs. Dursley. She always got too upset at any mention of her sister. He didn't blame her. If he had a sister like that, but all the same, those people in cloaks. He found it a lot harder harder, to concentrate a drills, on drills that afternoon. And when he left the building at five o'clock, he was still so worried that he walked straight into someone's just outside the door. Sorry, he grunted, as the tiny old, old man stumped, stumbled and almost fell. It was a few seconds before Mr. Dursley realized that the man was wearing a violet cloak. He didn't seem at all upset at being almost knocked to the ground. On the contrary, his face split into a wide smile and he said in his squeaky voice that made passerby stare, Don't be sorry, my dear sir. For nothing could upset me today, rejoice, for you know who has gone at last. Even muggles like yourself should be celebrating this happy, happy day. And the old man hugged Mr. Dursley around the middle and walked off. Mr. Dursley stood rooted to the spot he had been hugged by a complete stranger. He also thought he had been called a muggle, whatever that that was. He was ratted. He hurried to his car and set off home, hoping he was imagining things which he had never hoped before because he didn't approve of imagination. As he pulled into the driveway of number 4, the first thing he saw, and it didn't improve his mood was the tabby cat he had spotted that morning it was now sitting on the garden wall. He was sure it was the same one it had the same markings around his eyes. Shoo, Mr. Dursley loudly. The cat didn't move, it just gave him a stern look. Was this normal cat behavior? Mr. Dursley wondered, trying to pull himself together. He let himself into the house He was still determined not to mention anything to his wife. Mrs. Dursley had had a nice, normal day. She told him over dinner all about Mrs. Nextdoor's problems with her daughter and how Dudley had learned a new word, want. Mr. Dursley tried to act normally when Dudley had been put to bed. He went into living room in time to catch the last report of evening news. And finally, bird watchers everywhere have reported that nation's owls have been behaving very unusual today, usually today. Although owls normally hunt at night and hardly even seen in daylight, there have been hundreds of sightings of these birds flying in every direction since sunrise expects or unable to explain why the AHA uh, owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. The newscaster allowed himself a grin. Most mysterious and now Over to Jim Mcguffin With the weather Going to be any more showers of owls tonight, Jim? Going to be any, sh- any more showers of owls tonight, Jim? Tonight, Jim. Well Ted, said the weatherman, I don't know about that but it's not only the owls that have been acting oddly today, viewers as far apart as Kent, Yorkshire and Dundee have been phoning in to tell me that instead of their rain I promised yesterday. There have been a downpour of shooting stars. Perhaps people have been celebrating bonfire night early. It's not until next week, folks, but I can promise a wet night tonight. Mr. Dursley sat frozen in his armchair, shooting stars all over Britain. Owls flying by daylight, mysterious people in cloaks all over the place, and a whisper a whisper about potters. Mrs Thursley came into the living room carrying two cup of teas cups of tea. It was good no good. He had to have to say something to her. He cleared his throat nervously. Eh Potina petuna dear you haven't heard from your sister lately, have you? As he had expected, Mrs. Dursley looked shocked and angry. After all, they normally pretend she didn't have a sister. No, she said sharply. Why? Funny stuff on the news, Mrs. Mr. Dursley, mumbled. Owls, shooting stars, and there are a lot of funny-looking people in the town today. So. Snapped Mrs. Dursley. Well, well, I just thought maybe it was something to do with, you know, her crowd. Mrs. Dursley sipped her tea through pursed lips. Mr. Dursley wondered whether he dared tell her he had heard the name Potter. He decided he didn't dare. Instead, he said as casually as he could. That son had been about Dursley's age now, wouldn't he? I suppose so, said Mrs. Dursley stiffly. What's his name again? Howard, isn't it? Harry. Nasty common name, if you ask me. Oh, yes, yeah, said Mr. Dursley. His heart sinking. Horrible. Yes, I quite agree. He didn't say anything, say any, say another word on the subject as they went upstairs to bed while Mrs. Dursley was in the bathroom. Mr. Dursley crept to the bedroom window and peered down into front garden. The cat was still there. It was starting down, staring down private drive as though it was waiting for something. Was he imagining things? Could all this have anything to do with potters? If it did, if it caught out that they were related to a pair of, well, he didn't think he could bear it. The Dursleys got into bed. Mrs. Dursley fell asleep quickly, but Mr. Dursley lay awake, turning it all over in his mind. His last comforting thought before he fell asleep was that even if the potters were involved there was no reason for them to come near him and Mrs. Dursley. The potters knew very well what he and Putina thought about them and their kind. He couldn't see how he and Putina could get mixed up in anything that might be going on. He yawned and turned down. It couldn't affect them. How very wrong, he says. Mr. Dursley might have been drifting into an uneasy sleep, but the cat on the wall outside was showing no sign of sleepiness. It was sitting as still as statue, its eyes fixed unblinking, blinkingly on the far corner of private drive. It didn't so much as quiver when a car door slammed on the next seat. Nor when two owls swooped overhead. In fact, it was nearly midnight before the cat moved at all. A man appeared on the corner of corner The cat had been watching, appeared so suddenly and silently, you would have thought he had just popped out of the ground. The cat's tail twitched and its eyes narrowed. Nothing like this man had ever been seen on private trial. He was tall, thin, very old, judging by the silver of his hair and beard, which were both long enough. Tuck into his belt, he was wearing long robes, a purple cloak that swept the crown, and high-heeled, buckled boots. His blue eyes were light, bright, and sparkling behind his half-moon spectacles, and his nose was very long and crooked, as though it had been broken at least twice. This man's name was Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore didn't seem to realize that he had just arrived in a street where everything from his name to his boots were unwelcome. He was busy rummaging in his cloak, looking for something. But he did seem to realize he was being watched because he looked up suddenly at the cat, which was still staring at him from the other end of the street. For some reason, the sight of the cat seemed to amuse him. He jumped and muttered, I should have known. He found what he was looking for in his inside pocket. It seemed to be silver cigarette like light lighter. He flicked it open, held it up in air and clicked it. The nearest street lamp were, went out with a little pop. He clicked it again. The next lamp flickered into darkness. Twelve times he clicked the put-outer until the only light left on the wall, street where, street, were two tiny pinpricks in the distance, pinpricks, sorry, which were the eyes of the cat watching him. If anyone looked out of their window now, even barely eyed Mrs. Turley, they wouldn't be able to see anything that was ha- happening down on the pavement. Dumbledore slipped the put outer back inside his cloak and set off down the street towards Number 4, where he sat down on the wall next to the cat. He didn't look at it, but after a moment he spoke to it. Fancy seeing you here, Mr. Professor. Sorry. Fancy seeing you here, Professor McGonagall. He turned to smile at the tabby but it had gone instead he was smiling at a rather severe looking woman who was wearing square glasses exactly the shape of markings the cat had cat had had around its eyes she too was wearing a cloak an emerald one emerald one her black hair was drawn into a tube tight bun she looked distinctly raffled how did you know it was me she asked my dear professor i have never seen a cat sit so stiffly. stiffly you would be stiff if if you would you had been sitting on a brick wall all day said professor mechanical all day When you could have been celebrating, I must have passed a dozen feasts and parties on my way here. Professor McGonagall sniffed angrily. Oh yes, everyone's celebrating all right, she said impatiently. You'd think you'd be a bit more careful, but no, even the muggles have noticed something going on, something's going on. It was on their news. She jerked her head back at the dursley's dark living room window. I heard it. Flock of owls shooting stars. Well, they are not completely stupid. They were bound to notice something. Shooting stars down in Kent. I will bet that was the tadler's degree. He... Never had much sense. You can't blame them, said Dumbledore gently. We have had a precious little to celebrate for 11 years. I know that, Professor McGonagall irritably. But that's not a reason, that's no reason to lose our heads. People are being downright careless. Out on the streets in broad daylight, not even dressed in muggle clothes, swooping rumors, swapping rumors. She threw a sharp sideways glance at Dumbledore here, as though hoping he was going to tell her something, but he didn't, so she went on. A fine thing it would be if. On the very day, you know who seemed to have disappeared at least. At last, the muggles found out about us all. I suppose he really has gone, Dumbledore. It certainly seems so, said Dumbledore. We have much to be thankful for. Would you care for a lemon drop? A what? A lemon drop? They are a kind of muggle sweet I am rather fond of. No, thank you, said Professor McGonagall coldly, as though she didn't think this was the moment for lemon drops. As I say, even if you know who has gone, my dear professor, surely a sensible person like yourself can call him by his name. All this, you-know-who nonsense. For 11 years, I have been trying to persuade people to call him by his proper name, Voldemort. Professor McGonagall flinched, but Dumbledore, who was unsticking two lemon drops, seemed not to notice. It all gets so confusing if we keep saying you-know-who. I have never seen any reason to be frightened of saying Voldemort's Voldemort's name. I know you haven't, said Professor McGonagall, sounding half-exasperated, half-admiring. But you are different. Everyone knows you are the only one, you know who. Oh, oh. all right. Voldemort was frightened off. You flattered me, said Dumbledore calmly. Voldemort had powers I will never have, only because you are too well noble to use them. It's lucky it's tough. I haven't blushed so much since Madame Pomfrey told me she liked my new earmuffs. Professor McGonagall shot a sharp look at Dumbledore and said, The owls are nothing next to the rumors that are flying around. You know what everyone's saying about why he's disappeared, about what finally stopped him. It seems that Professor McGonagall has reached the point she was most anxious to discuss. The real reason she had been waiting on a cold, hard wall and day, all day. For neither as a cat nor as a woman had she fixed Dumbledore with such a piercing stare as she did now. It was plain that whatever everyone was saying, she was not going to believe it until Dumbledore told her it was true. Dumbledore, however, closed was choosing another lemon drop, and did not answer. What they are saying, she pressed on. Is that last night when Voldemort turned up into Godric's Hollow, he went to find the Potters. The rumors is that Lily and James Potter are are. That they are dead. Dumbledore bowed his head. Professor McGonagall gasped. Lily and James, I can't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Oh, Albus. Dumbledore reached out and patted her on the shoulder. I know, I know, he said heavily. Professor McGonagall's voice timmed as she went on. That's not all. They're saying he tried to kill the potter's son, Harry. But he couldn't. He couldn't kill that little boy. No one knows why or how, but they are saying that when he couldn't kill Harry Potter, Voldemort's power somehow broke and that's why he is gone. Dumbledore nodded gumly, gumly. It's it's true. Flattered Professor McGonagall. It's true. Flattered Professor McGonagall. After all this done, all the people he has killed, he couldn't kill a little boy. It's just astounding of all the things to stop him. But how in the name of heaven did Harry survive? We can only guess, said Dumbledore. We may never know. We may never know. Professor McGonagall pulled out a lace handkerchief and dabbed at her eyes beneath her spectacles. Dumbledore gave a great sniff as he took a golden watch from his pocket and examined it. It was a very odd watch. It had twelve hands but no numbers. Instead little Planets were moving around the edge. It must have made sense to Dumbledore, though, because he put it back in his pocket and said, Hagrid Slate, I suppose it was he who told you. Hagrid Slate, I suppose it was he who told you I would be here, by the way. Yes, Professor McGonigal. And I don't suppose you are going to tell me why you are here, of all places. I have come to bring Harry to his aunt and uncle. They are the only family he has left now. You don't mean, you can't mean the people who live here, cried Professor McGonagall, jumping to her feet and pointing at number four. Dumbledore, you can't. I have been watching them all day. You couldn't find two people who are less like us, and they have got this son. I saw him kicking his mother all the way up the street, screaming for sweets. Harry Potter, come and live here. It's the time, it's the best place for him, said Dumbledore firmly. His aunt and uncle will be able to explain everything to him when he is older. I have written them a letter. A letter repeated Professor McGonagall faintly, sitting back down on the wall. Really, Dumbledore, you think you can explain all this in a letter? These people will never understand him. He will be famous or legend. I wouldn't be surprised if today was known as harry potter day in the future there will be a, will be books written about harry every child in our world will know his name exactly said dumbledore looking very seriously to the over the top of his half moon glasses it would be enough to turn anybody's head any boy's head famous before he can walk and talk famous for something He won't even remember. Can't you see how much better off he will be growing up away from all that until he's ready to take it? Professor McGonigal opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed and then said, Yes, yes, you're right. Of course. But how is this how is the boy getting here, Dumbledore? She eyed his cloak clock. Suddenly, as though she thought he might be hiding Harry underneath it. Hagrid's bringing him. You think it wise to trust Hagrid with something as important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life, said Dumbledore. I'm not saying his heart isn't in the right place said professor magonical grimly, but you can't pretend he's not careless he does tend to what was that a low rumbling sound had broken the silence around them it grew steadily louder as they looked up and down the street for some sign of a light headlight it swelled to a roar as they both looked up in the sky at the sky And a huge motorcycle fell out of the air and landed on the road in front of them. If the motorcycle was huge, it was nothing to the man sitting around it. He was almost twice as tall as a normal man and at least five times as wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed. And so wild, long tangles of bushy black hair and beard hid most of his face. He had hands the size of trash can lids, and his feet in their leather boots were like baby dolphins. In his vast, muscular arms, he was holding a bundle of blankets. Hi, great, said Dumbledore, sounding relieved. At last, and where did you get that motorcycle? Borrowed it, Professor Dumbledore, sir, said the giant, climbing carefully off the motorcycle as he spoke. Young Sirius Black lent it to me. I have got him, sir. I got him, sir. No problems, were there? no sir house was almost destroyed but i got him out all right before the muggle started swarming around he fell asleep as as we was flying over the bristol Dumbledore and professor McGonagall bent forward over the bundle of blankets inside just visible was a boy baby boy fast asleep under the turf of jet black hair over his forehead, they could see a curiously shaped cut like a bolt of lightning. Is that where? whispered Professor McConnell. Yes, said Dumbledore. He will have that scar forever. Wouldn't you do something about it, Dumbledore? Even, even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in handy. I have one myself above my left knee that. That is a perfect map of the London Underground. Well, give him here, Hagrid. We would better get this over with. Dumbledore took Harry in his arms and turned towards Dursley's house. Could I, could I say goodbye to him, sir? asked Hagrid. He bent his great shaggy head over Harry and gave him a... What must have been heavy, stretchy, whiskery kiss? Kiss. Then suddenly Hagrid let out a howl like wounded dog. Shh, hissed Professor McGonagall. You will wake the muggles. Sorry, sobbed Hagrid, taking out a large spotted handkerchief and buried his face in it. But I, I can't, can't stand it. Lily and James died, and poor little Harry off to live with Muggles. Yes, yes, it's all very sad, but get a grip on yourself, Hagrid, or we will be found. Professor McGonagall whispered, patting Hagrid gingerly on the arm as Dumbledore stepped over the low garden wall and walked to the front door. He laid Harry gently on the doorstep took a letter out of his cloak and tucked it inside Harry's blanket, and then came back to the other two. For a full minute, the three of them stood and looked at the little bundle. Hagrid's shoulders shook. Professor McGonagall blinked furiously, and the twinkling light that usually shone from Dumbledore's eyes seemed to have gone out. Well, said Dumbledore, finally, that's that, we have no business staying here, we must as well go and join the celebrations. Yeah, said Hagrid, in a very muffled voice, I would best get this bike away. Good night, sir, Professor McGonagall, Professor Dumbledore, sir, wiping his streaming eyes on his jacket sleeve, Hagrid swung himself into motorcycle bike. And kicked this engine into life with a roar of rose into the air and off into the night. I shall see you soon. I expect Professor McGonagall, said Dumbledore, nodding to her. Professor McGonagall blew her nose in reply. Dumbledore turned and walked back down the street. On the corner he stopped and looked and took out the silver put outer. He clicked it once and twelve balls of light spent back to their street lamps so that private drive glowed suddenly orange and he could make out the tabby cat sneaking, slinking around the corner at the other end of the street. He could just see the bundle of blankets on the step of number four. Good luck, Harry, he murmured. He turned on his heel and with a swish, swish of his cloak he was gone. A breeze ruffled the neat hedge of private drive, which lay silent and tidy under the inky sky, the very last place you would expect astonishing things to happen. Harry Potter rolled over inside his blankets without waking up. One small hand closed on the little letter beside him, and he slept on. Not knowing he was special, not knowing he was famous, not knowing he would be woken in a few hours. time by Mrs. Stursley screamed as she opened the front door to put out the milk bottles. Not that he would spend the next few weeks being propped and pinched by his cousin Dudley. He couldn't know that at this very moment People meeting in secret all over the country were holding up their glasses and saying in hushed voices, To Harry Potter and the boy who lived. The End Chapter 1 Bye-bye guys. See you next week.